Welcome to GERT, conversations about architecture, entrepreneurship and life. We are proud to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land, to recognise their ongoing connection to country, land and waters that were never ceded, and to pay our respect to Elders, past and present. Your hosts are Monique Woodward, Director of Wawawa Architecture, Mother to Cleo, Recording on Wurundjeri Country in Melbourne, and Nick Brunson, Principal and Creative Director of Nick Brunson, Father to Bo and Minnie, who's in Perth recording on Wajuk Noongar Buja. Mon and Nick are celebrated industry thought leaders. Both have won the Australian Institute of Architects National Emerging Architect Prize and are Dulux Study Tour Prize winners. They bring candour and vulnerability to conversations about creativity and personal expansion. Please enjoy. Today we have the amazing Georgia Burks. Uh, she is a graduate of architecture, associate editor of Architecture Media, uh, First Nations Advisory Working Group Cultural Reference Panel member, newly appointed member of the City of Melbourne Design Excellence um, Advisory Committee and co-curator of the Asia-Pacific Architecture Festival. That is a lot. That's that's amazing. <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a lot. But, you know, I feel like that's um, that's what professional women end up doing, just all the things. So... Welcome and thank you so much uh, for joining oh, us. Yeah. For this, uh, yeah, non non architectural. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that all. Happy to be here. Happy I'm hoping to have that a chat. Every word that we said that was architecture at the start. That's the last time we're going to say that. And then we can go go talk about all the other things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Done. If we say the word architecture, Mon, you have to take a shot for your birthday. <laughs> can do. Can do for everyone, everyone listening. It's my birthday, so this is going to be the most festive uh, episode we've ever done. Um, and so, okay, so let's get started. So let's uh, start with where you grew up, maybe. Okay. Um, well, I'm a Brizzy girl. I'm Brisbane born and bred. And um, for those up in Brisbane who know the area well, I grew up originally in Annalee, which is the south side of the river, um, and spent a lot of time there. And then we sort of moved to Tarragindi growing up um, with my family. I'm the eldest of three. So there's myself, my younger brother, Levi, who is a character, and so is my younger sister, Ebony. Um, Yeah, and so we all, I mean, we're quite close, actually. I'd probably consider them some of my closest friends, as well as my parents, mum and dad are great humans and I think they've done a pretty good job. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I grew up in Brizzy and um, spent holidays on both the Gold Coast and Sunshine Coast and I guess um, I'm close with my family on both sides as well. So my background, obviously, um, I'm a proud descendant of the Kamilaroi and Dungadi people, which are northern New South Wales, and then the other side is Danish and English, so interesting mix, um, but all great characters and great humans on both sides of the family, and I keep in touch with my cousins as much as I can. They're sort of all around the world now too, which is a bit weird during these times, but it's nice and sort of keeps the, the, com- the family combos really interesting. And so you're in Melbourne now, right? Yeah, I, I made the move down to Melbourne at the start of this year. Caitlin Butler um, 
sort of convinced me to come down and and sort of divert my career pathway from practicing architecture to um, publishing and writing about architecture, which I think really suits my personality as well, actually. Um, and I thought I was quite, I've always been really curious about writing about architecture. Um, and so I thought, even though it's a bit of a weird time to sort of make a career change and even move cities, um, I thought, why not? And it's kind of been a really interesting year for me, actually. So <clears throat> I actually got engaged <laughs> in December 2020 to my dear partner, Tom, Thanks, guys. And then I was like, so thanks. I said, yes, and I'm moving to Melbourne. <laughs> so he's actually been um, up in Brisbane. Are you kidding? Yeah, he's been up in Brisbane this, yeah, this entire year. So, um, I mean, that was always the plan because I think, you know, when you do kind of make a career change, uh, I guess kind of when you're sort of starting off a career and Tom's a teacher and, um his career is quite developed and it was a bit of a risk, obviously. I think it's always a bit of a risk to decide to do something really different in a way from what you've known for the past seven years. But like I said, it was kind of like a one-off opportunity and I think I would have been really silly not to explore it. So I've moved down to Melbourne and um, I didn't think it would be what it has been this year, Um, earthquakes, lockdowns and all that jazz. (laughs) but it's probably been both parts rewarding as it has been challenging. I haven't seen Tom in, I think, two and a half months. Oh, God. Is it, so the idea of, of going down on your own is a little bit of a, like uh, keeping a foot in both worlds in case like the job didn't work out or not wanting to drag Tom away from a, you know, already partly established career or, you know, just trying to maintain a bit of independence and, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, probably all of that in one. Um, Mostly I think it was kind of a bit of a financial security thing as well because Tom has a a pretty good gig up in Brisbane. He's got a new gig down here that's equally as exciting for him, which he'll start um, uh, in January. Oh, cool. So there there is light at the end of the tunnel. You are coming back together. There's... there's (laughs) We are coming back together, hopefully in December or January, who knows yet, but um, there is light at the end of the tunnel. But it it definitely was, it definitely was kind of just a moment where we both decided that um, I needed to do this and we both are super supportive of each other and I don't think he's ever said no to me at all in sort of exploring what I wanted to explore <laughs> career-wise, which is amazing. But vice versa, you know, Tom Tom is one of the greatest humans, I think. Um, I mean, personally, I'm marrying the dude, so it's like he's, I think he's one of the greatest people ever. But um, he's always been such a big supporter of what I've done and so... Yeah, we both came to the decision that, yes, I should try this, but just in case, you know, it was it was so different to actually practising architecture in a way, still involved in the industry, but if it so happened that it didn't kind of suit what I liked to do on a day-to-day basis, then there was that, you know, I guess safety net to sort of go back to Brisbane. But so far, it's been just an epic ride and I've absolutely loved it. So he's making the move down and um, I'm continuing my career in, in publishing and media. 
And so how did Caitlin get you to uh, yeah, move from sort of, I guess, the trajectory of an architect to, you know, sidestep into publishing? Like what, um, what were the nitty-gritty sort of um, <laughs> uh, persuasion points? Um, I mean, Caitlin is very persuasive. Um, she has a lot of energy. <laughs> She's amazing. A dear friend of mine. And, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I kind of want to know what, what, what went down. That's a good question. I feel like it was this natural evolution. So I know we're not supposed to be talking about architecture, but it's kind of inevitable here. It's fine. So I guess, you know, way back before I even started co-curating the Asia-Pacific Architecture Festival up in Brisbane, um, I met Cameron Brun and that was just at a panel discussion one night and he then reached out to me to participate in the festival and that's founded by Architecture Media. And so for the past two years we were all working together quite closely, just sort of curating the list of events for this festival. And, um, you know, Caitlin's a great person and our personalities really meshed and we liked how each other worked. And then I think it was over Instagram one time, she just shot me a message and was like, are you interested <laughs> at all in, in this? And I, so we had a conversation over the phone and I think, you know, discussed the ins and outs of it. She knew, like she had met Tom, she knew that um, my roots were pretty deep in Brisbane and, you know, she's super understanding and, um, yeah, we just talked about it being a big decision. But ultimately, I think I was at this position in my life and career where the opportunity to try new experiences in a career path was was the right move at the time. And, you know, I don't have any responsibilities with children or anything like that at the moment in my life. So, I, per- I think it was a personal decision to be like, if I didn't do this, I would be like, what if? for the rest of my life. And I, I don't like that. I like to sort of, sort of figure it all out as I go, but, um, in a sensible way. (laughs) Do you think, do you think if the approach, do you think if the approach came, say this was all delayed two years and if the approach came to you now, with now the understanding that you can do this job remotely, would you have stayed in Queensland? That's a really good question. Um, I have always wanted to, live in another city and Tom and I had always talked about doing that and whether that was going to be overseas um, or in Melbourne or, or another city in Australia, that to me was something I always wanted to do. And the underlying thing that sort of stopped us from doing that, and when I say us, is, is Tom and I, was, you know, looking for one of us having the job And that was something like, it's funny with the relationship that Tom and I have is that I'm like this big dreamer and then Tom is quite like logical. So we kind of balance each other out in a yin and yang way. So I'll be like, let's do this and push him out of his like boundary a little bit. But then he'll bring me back to ground and be like, well, we actually need all of these things to do it. Not saying no, but (laughs) can you do these before you do that? We're getting a lot of this this dreamer planner um, kind of, you know, know. dichotomy thing in in these conversations is really interesting. It's almost like this kind of archetypal thing of people obviously drawn to each other and making great partnerships that then support each other and create good things or good decisions and, you know, help each one become the best version of themselves and sort of push on. So that's um, That's it's it's just really interesting to hear it come up again. 
Yeah, Nick, you're absolutely right. And I think that's why Tom and I get along and have gotten along for, you know, so many years now. And he, so he was like, okay, Georgia, we need to have one of us with a job like locked into whatever city we want to do if we plan to do that. And then one night I came home after talking to Caitlin on the phone. I said, so, Tom, uh, I got a job in Melbourne. <laughs> Here we go. And he was like, all right, let's do this. So, um, but, yeah, again, that plan to have me move down originally and then him follow through was his probably suggestion and sensible suggestion. Do you think it's possible for um, two dreamers to be together or do you think that actually that's um, th- that that's why there's always that, um, you know, there, there needs to be the duality within a partnership? Um, I guess I'm just trying to think about, you know, my own relationships and, you know, even friend relationships, like there is... Um, always something that's just so similar about, um, you know, even within friend relationships, but then there is something that's just so different, I think, with the majority of them. So, yeah, I don't know. That's what a good question. I, I absolutely think that dreamers can be with dreamers for sure. Um, I think it would just come down to understanding what that person needs in that particular situation or in a particular time and understanding how they react to something. Um, And I think, you know, you can still be a dreamer and still be um, realistic. And I kind of tell Tom that I'm sort of like that, but he'll tell me otherwise. But um, I I certainly think that true dreamers can be together. (laughs) I mean, what do you think, Nick, um, in Geordie's? Geordie's a dreamer. I mean, she's an artist, right? She's an amazing planner, though. She's so um, organised and meticulous and um, real about things in the world and planning, and that's what makes her such a so successful as an artist is she's actually very, like, you know, completely organised. Like, when she has the moments of, like, release and inspiration and intuition, she can, like, switch that part of her brain on, but her... I think in these conversations, mm-hmm. it's not about pigeonholing people and going, you're a dreamer, you're a planner. It's about like, what's your default? Or what's your yeah. kind of orthodoxy? And so for her, like she's, her base or default state is actually very um, ordered and think, you know, planning and, you know, thinking ahead and doesn't like uncertainty, likes to kind of, you know, have, she's got spreadsheets and, you know, lists and all that kind of stuff where, so her, her default state is it's the same. It's she's like that, but she can turn that part of her brain on and become the kind of, you know, the intuitor or the empath or, you know, whatever you want to call it, that sort of thing. Where, you know, my I think Mon and I we've spoken about this before. My my default state is the same as yours. I'm like the let's fucking go. You know, let's it's, it can be, you know, <laughs> we can be whatever, we'll work out the details later. But when we need to, like, you know, we both run businesses and you can't run businesses without actually like being, you know, ordered and planning and thinking and, you know, putting things one foot in front of the other. It's just, you know, which yeah. power you turn on at what time. And, I mean, even, even with what my job sort of entitles now for me to do is you have to sort of think about we kind of do this big sort of when we're thinking about symposiums or speakers or whatever or content for magazines is who's doing amazing stuff and we sort of spread this massive sort of web out and then sort of then meticulously go through it so there is I guess sort of that organizational thing because it has to it has to happen in the end but that's not necessarily to say that you shouldn't dream big to start but to get something to work and actually you know I I saw a great I saw a great um research diagram once which was just like a series of funnels like a kind of an expanding funnel then a sort of um what do you call it a 
retreating funnel where it's basically to do great research or to create to create great to create great projects it's just a kind of a sequence of those events over and over again so you kind of like you start at a point yep. and go out and think big and then you get whatever you've taken that point and find it down to a position and then you take that point yep. that you've now formed which is now further along the path and you expand out again and then you review it and you refine it back to another position and that's kind of like you know as you exactly what you're saying it's got to have you've got to have both skill yeah. sets or you've got to know where to call on those skill sets to help you kind of move forward and create those you know those new points and those new I guess trajectories of yeah. thought or practice or writing or whatever it becomes Nick's doing little um, finger diamonds, just for everyone listening. Just little, kind of little finger diamonds. Do you, like, do you talk with your hands? Do you talk with your hands, Nick? I do. I'm like always uh, yeah, doing these things. Great for podcasting. I'm really, really good. But you're right. You know, if you don't do that sort of method, then the dream stays a dream. And so, do you think that? Um, I mean. I, I mean, that's for everything, right? Like that's publishing, that's architecture, it's fashion, it's, it's any creative yeah. pursuit. Yeah, well, there, there's kind of like this risk that you create, um, you know, like a worldview that's within an echo chamber. So, and like I'm thinking about this when you're like we're cur- curating podcast guests, but then um, podcast guests, but then you're, you know, creating conferences or publications and, you know, sh- spotlighting projects and people and thought. Um, do you ever take any, you know, measures to make sure that you're not just kind of following, you know, sort of um, predetermined taste lines or, you know, what's hot on Instagram or what a mate of a mate's liking? Like how do you kind of unearth those bits of kind of different or radical or esoteric or um, or even, you know, uh, contrary, you know, ways of doing? Hmm. I think um, we... Definitely, you know, we utilise our resources. We have such an amazing network um, at Architecture Media and even within our editorial team. So we're constantly, you know, asking each other and collaborating together whether it doesn't matter what publication or which um, editor is, you know, fixed on which publication. We actually all work as a really collaborative team. And from that, I think you know, we try and um, make sure that the content is also a reference of the time that we live in um, as a as a community, as a city, as a population of the world, like what is going on and how is architecture sort of responding to that. So in that sense, we also have that lens where we're filtering through and looking about who's thinking about the future and we're always trying to think, future focused and um but then I guess again it's that sort of big big sort of web of finding out who's doing what and then refining that through is it built have we published them recently is this sort of um a balanced publish publication a collection of projects and architects regarding gender location typology all of that stuff I'm interested now then about um, how does how does it how does it feel personally for you that now you've kind of you've crossed over now you're like the puppet master behind the scenes pulling the stri- pulling the strings and like kind of putting the thing together, but it's never going to be about you. It's never going to be your name. You know, like kind of 
you know, you might moderate a debate or you might kind of get the kudos for putting it together, but no one's now going to go, you know, <laughs> Georgia Berkeys, um, Berkeys, you're coming, you're, you're amazing, we want you <laughs> you're oh, amazing. Sorry, it was a joke from before. Um, you're amazing. You're amazing. We want you up on stage to talk about how amazing you are. Like, is that is that a part? That's a is that a difficult thing to do to kind of like? Have you had to like settle the ego or understand that you know you're now kind of being um, you know useful in other ways or I don't know how how, um, how have you dealt? I with actually that? am really happy to be behind the scenes. For me, something that. I get a lot out of this job. And I think, you know, I've been by myself in this apartment all year pretty much and I'm feeling quite mentally and physically strong because I think I enjoy what I do so much. And part of that is the amount of people I get to talk to across the world and across Australia and hear what they're talking about, what they're interested, what their expertise is. And that's enough for me. And I don't need to be up there, um, you know, being the face of whatever, because I think there are plenty of people who, you know, know so much more than me about all of these different topics. Um, And I just love to listen and learn from them. Um, it's cool and I, I, I take this position, it, it, I feel quite privileged to be, you know, sharing the information that we collect and, and print because that's what the industry is going to be reading and being informed by and it's really, really important for us um, as a team, as an editorial team to make sure that, you know, we have the right people talking and they're experts and they're interesting and they've got something really great to say to help architects or designers think about the process of design or the outcome of the design and how the project can go, go beyond the building itself. Um, so in regards to sort of being the person at the front, I'm much rather giving other people the platform Um but I think um, that you are the person at the front, you know. I mean, even the fact that you're within this, well, but it's, I mean, it's just in a slightly different way, but you think about your role, um, you know, as we said in that sort of really long introduction that, um, you know, you're here on this podcast talking about you and your work and um, the impact that you have and the purpose that, you know, that you feel needs fulfilling, you know, your your role on the advisory you know, the First yeah. Nations working group, you know, your role at DAC, like that's, you're there because um, of your opinions and what you think and that contribution yeah. is, um, you know, it's, yeah, it's it's not a drawing. Um, but I, I guess I find no. more and more. But, but then, then, then that's the, then that's this, that's all about the skill then of managing competing interests, which is about maintaining your strong personal brand and personal ethics and understanding who you are but then being inside an operation and an organisation with its own set of values and outcomes and trying to manage the meeting point of those two things. And sometimes when that goes well, that's really successful. And sometimes when it doesn't, it's a mess. But if you can, you know, stay strong and be, you know, kind of be yourself within a system, then these are the sort of things that happen. You get these kind of, you get the power of support of, you know, and the machinations of big organisation Mm. and, you know, established networks while also kind of, you know, 
propelling yourself forward into these more niche areas that are, you know, are based on who you are. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right, Mon, like I am I am lucky enough to be amongst these talented people and, and giving an opinion um, and advising from what I know. But, um, yeah, I guess in regards to the role that I'm doing now, it, it, it supports my ability to do that as well at these platforms and in these committees because I'm constantly learning from the industry and I love that. <laughs> you know, I don't think that we would have potentially met as soon as we have if you had not had not taken that job, right? Like that um, you yeah. sort of... It, Absolutely. In a way, the same as this podcast, um, you know, you have the capacity or you have the lever to contact people and be like, hey, like introduce ourselves, have a really good conversation. Like let's bring more people into your orbit because that feels, um, you know, like it's fulfilling a, a need inside of, you know, ourselves to be learning and constantly kind of reviewing our own opinions and things like yeah. that. And so um, that's why it's amazing. I mean, that's why Nick yeah. and I are doing this really um, but it's, uh, I think that you're, yeah. it's so great, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, your capacity as just when a designer can, when you sitting can there. Tee up with someone. Sorry, you go. <laughs> yeah. And when you can tee up, sorry, <laughs> I, I just loved your point about, you know, yourself and Nick coming together to do something that's creative in this sense. And, um, I think that's one of the things that I've, I get a real thrill out of seeing happen as well in whether it's the co-curation for that Asia Pacific Architecture Festival, whether it's um, advising on a committee or the job that I'm doing now is like you're saying, you've got this orbit of amazing talented people that you know, and then you can pair them up together and they, you see something amazing happen or something created that you, you didn't expect to, but um, I get a real kick out of that. And I get a real kick out of being surrounded by other creatives because similar interests, similar point of views, um, morals, ethos, all of that jazz. And I think, you know, that's how great things are created. Well, you're in a you're in a position of power now as well, you know, as in that you get to kind of like put these things together and, you know, um, shine a light on people that you think are doing important work and kind of like actually form or shape a, a trajectory of thought and practice and discourse, which is, you know, something that if you're working in practice, you're, you know, you're a piece that can be like helped to inform that. But in this role, you're almost the mouthpiece rather than the piece. You know, you're the kind of the, you get to frame the conversation, which is, you know, extremely exciting and interesting and, um, yeah, know, as I said, quite powerful it, it, it certainly is and I think that's um it's such a privilege to be able to doing to be able to do that and I think it makes it even more important of I guess what we were talking about earlier to rely on your network of creatives um because we don't know everything right when we're when we're putting together we don't really know we don't have a, we're not experts on everything. We're just looking and, and leaning on our networks to find out what, what's going on, what's exciting, what's relevant, where do we need to focus the attention on in the industry to improve it in, in areas and who is improving it in areas that we didn't foresee last year. And um, I think that's really, like, that's something that I like to do is talk to creatives about 
all of this stuff and how that then really relates back to architecture and giving people well, that can, platform can I to then do get, that. Can I get... Can I get selfish here then? And um, from a position of complete naivety, what what I think is exciting about you, and I hope that it doesn't become something that feels like it's something that is your your definition and your identity only, because obviously you're super talented and good at what you do, and you wouldn't have gotten this position without you know all those things as a base. But your First Nations heritage and that as your background and who you are and how that shapes how you come to this work and come to each day and to your relationships <clears throat> um you know again i'm 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 a white fella i'm from complete position of naivety you know i'm trying to learn about these things mm-hmm. like what what does it mean to you and what does it mean to the work and what does it mean for your people to kind of start to occupy these positions in you know in of again i'll say the word power but of influence you know throughout as you know as as we get more awareness and as we develop as a, as a people and as a country and as a nation, you know, that hopefully this becomes more commonplace and it becomes something that's just, you know, that we don't need to have these conversations. You can just say this at the start and go, you know, this is my background, this is my heritage, and we're like, oh, cool, great, you know, um, on we go. But I think it's it, we're, at a, we're at a point now where I think it's important that, and I hate that the burden is on you to have to do this, but I think mm. it's important for you to actually kind of talk to us about that and what it means. It's a, that's a good sort of, I guess, topic to discuss. Um, I think, you know, one thing that comes to mind when we talk about, um, I guess, culture and history um, is, and I'm just sort of like putting my thoughts together here, so sorry if I'm talking a bit slow, but I, I just think back to when I, I changed career t- trajectories at the start of this year and um, there is a lot of weight on the shoulders of First Nations designers and, and architects in um, Australia, but we can't um, fix you know, 200 years of colonisation and I think um, the movement and recognition and inclusion of um, experts and designers that we're seeing now is a great step forward and it's really important that we're seeing this movement too because I think that's how we'll just sort of, in a snowball effect, we're seeing this change happen. Um For me, when I talk about the weight on the shoulders, I think about a couple of people who I'm close with in the industry who are both, who also have a First Nations background. Um, And I think back to when I changed pathways at the start of this year and there were some people I was scared to tell because they were expecting me to go and get registered. And I'm only a graduate of architecture still and that doesn't bother me. And originally, yes, I was planning to go get my licence and potentially I still will in the future. Um, but I thought it was weird that I I had this sort of sense of guilt that I was sort of changing my pathway and not becoming a 
an Indigenous architect. But then over the sort of course of this year on reflection, I think it's almost just as important to be in the position that I'm in now because I have this network into this community and, um, you know, I'm growing that with my fellow um my fellow friends and colleagues who are also Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander in this industry. And, you know, <laughs> where I, for the position that I'm in now, when we start talking about giving people platforms and um, voices, I want to, for me, it's now about seeking out the younger designers and um, pulling them into focus too and getting... And that's a, I'm talking about younger designers. I'm thinking also back in high school. Like, really, we, we all start thinking about what we want to do in adults when we're back at school. Some of us are lucky enough to know what we want to do straight away. Some of us don't. Um, and I think architecture or design is, is quite abstract um, for some. Um, maybe originally it's more creative thinking in a different sense, jewellery making, furniture making, artistry, dance, um, and architecture might come later. Um, so for me, I think it's really important to be out as a First Nations, uh, an Aboriginal woman who's studied architecture but also now in the media to sort of promote that, promote architecture for First Nations peoples and um, I also think I also think that it's important to show that there's just not one straight linear pathway when you study architecture. And I kind of think it's important to show that for young designers or students coming through that, you know, if you do feel this pressure, like we're here together collectively, um, with our allies as well. Like we can't just do it all by ourselves, but we're here working together and we'll support you and do what you love. Do what you love because that is how you will sort of, I guess, help reframe and not so much reframe, but, you know, have inclusivity, genuine inclusivity and genuine passion for um, First Nations voices in creation and... Um, and architecture and design and all of that stuff, I think it's just about making sure that it's a genuine representation, if that makes sense. I'm probably babbling here. <laughs> um, but no, yeah. no, no, I think, I think it's, 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 it's amazing and that was an incredible answer and it just the whole time you were talking, um, I was kind of thinking of parallels to AFL, you know, and football and, you know, the kind of the burden that was on the first Indigenous players that came through that, you know, in terms of the Crash yeah. Brothers and Leon Davis and Nikki Winmar and Adam Goods and, you know, that the community didn't wrap their arms around them and that there was just such an emotional burden on those people to kind of to tell the story and prove their worth and show their kind of, you know, um, you know, having to like prove themselves as, you know, as equal or ability to belong. And I'm not saying that this is any, well, you know, that I'm not saying anything. I, I don't know anything, but I'm just, I'm thinking about those parallels and hoping that, yeah. you know, that we don't chew up people like you and spit you out because you're having to not only do your job, but you're having to be, you know, a representative of your community at the same time. And you don't get paid for that bit. And then you get idiots like me getting you to, tell us about what it means to you for like, you know, 
15 minutes and having to like wear all that and you know I can see how deep you had to go inside yourself to give give us that answer and you know you probably get off this this call and be like oh, and like have to sit down and have a margarita with mon or something but you know that <laughs> that kind of stuff is is like you know I'm I just I just hope we don't chew up and spit out you know beautiful like souls like yourself who come into the profession you know or come into any profession of just like wanting to do the profession but then you kind of are forced to do all these extra bits because of us not willing to provide comfortable learning environments or comfortable practicing or professional environments for yeah for this to happen yeah I think um I think I think we're slowly seeing a change too. Like, like I said, there is a movement and we're seeing a lot of collaborative, collaboration between um, Indigenous artists, Indigenous designers and architects and um, I think that's a really good thing to see because it's just becoming part of, I don't want to say the norm, but it's just becoming part of our environment and the building industry, architecture, you know, it has a really... Um, I guess it's it's got that physical presence on country too. So it has a quite a big responsibility when it has to respond to um, when we think about site and you know all of those things that overlay a site. Like go, be, we're going beyond now just thinking about it in a climatic sense. We're thinking about the layers of the history of the site, whether it's a heritage building and and then beyond to. Um, you know, um, First Nations history and connection to country. And I think that's really exciting because that's going to, I mean, I think that it's going to help um, create, bring more allies to the team. And um, then I guess it just becomes second nature. But, yeah, the one thing I did want to add as well, just thinking about, you know, what it means um to be in this platform that I have um, as an Indigenous woman, um, I hope that my presence in the media and um, design shows, like I said, to younger up-and-comers who are Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander that, you know, you can do whatever you want and just make sure that you love it and, you know, being Aboriginal is one part of me and I'm proud to have that as one part of me. But I'm also all of these other things and there's all of these other things that I love to do and that inspire me um, and I think people pick up on that and, you know, I think that's really important for everybody to remember as well and most people most people do. But, um, yeah, I think that's what I'm trying to show and represent when I'm Georgia Burks and I'm up sort of talking out in the community or, or whatever um, is sort of to show all the different sides of me and all the different versions of, versions of me, I guess, um, and ultimately encourage the, younger, the young, younger generation coming through to be comfortable with who they are and what they love to do as a creative because... I think ultimately my dad always said, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life again. Um, I don't know whether that's every day, but, you know, I think that's kind of what I'm trying to role model. And there's such a power in just being who you are. And, you know, I mean, even the the very first time we met, you just had such yeah. huge 
energy. And I think that that, um, I mean, that's, I think why we've been drawn together as friends and, you know, I love that so much. And, um, but I think, you know, circling back to, you know, the power of influencing younger people, um, you know, I guess I, it made me think about, uh, the work experience that I did. Um, you know, my dad said I should do interior design. So I, um, did, you know, booked in to do some work experience with in an in interior design and architecture firm and um, they'd, they'd muck, muck something up. And so I ended up in the architecture department and um, I didn't even know that, uh, you know, back, back, I guess maybe that was naive, but I didn't know that females were architects. And, you know, I met Mel Bright from Studio Bright there and I was just like, I want to, everything that you are, I want to be that. And, you know, it was from that week of hanging out with her that I essentially just have followed her my entire life through, you know, going to RMIT uh, to, mm. you know, she got me my first job at lab um, after first year. You know, I I did as she did. She started her own firm. I started my own firm. And I think that, um, you know, just, just that in itself is just the most powerful thing because, um, you know, it's the power of role models and the power of mentorship and the power of just being seen. And, um, mm-hmm. in a way she kind of made my life easier because I, um, fell in love and then just, um, you know, I mean, obviously there's some key differences. Uh, you know, she has two daughters. I have one, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we both married older men, <laughs> but, you know, I think it is, um, it is so, so powerful just being, you know, and I guess, you know, we'll never know the people that we're influencing necessarily or have influenced on our journey. But I think just the power of being yourself is mm. just enough. But it's it's hard. Being yourself is like is the hardest thing to do. Like you kind of because you've got whatever it is, you know, I'm 40, like you've got 40 years of programming of people around you telling you who they think you should be. And the hardest thing is to like quiet that all down and listen internally and kind of go, well, who do I want to be or who do I feel most myself because you know your profession tries to force you to be a certain way like you know act like wear mm. black do this make silly shapes you know or you know in publishing you'll be forced to be as there's all these kind of non-verbal cues as well as you know the the um you know the, the also the opinions of if like my dad wanted me to be a, um, a banker and a stockbroker and you know for a while I thought mm. that's what I should do like but it takes a while to get that all out of your system and kind of go no, who am I? What do I want? And I think that's almost your life's work is kind of getting to that point of peace and quiet and calmness inside yeah. yourself to know your direction and then walk the path. Yeah. And I think I, I couldn't agree with that more. Like it's and that I think it's also a skill to, to really, one, understand who you are, but then two, appreciate yourself and be thankful for who you are because there's nobody nobody else in the world who will ever be you, right? And, you know, you can't make everybody happy, so just at least make yourself happy. And um, I feel for me like that was, it's kind of a crescendo for me this year. Like I literally have been by myself pretty much all year and I had this moment, like quite a major change in my life, I guess, to a, to, to a, I guess, yeah, it's a, it's a big change to change your career. And mm. sort of it, it forced me to reflect on myself and it forced me to think about 
what we were talking about earlier, Nick, is like, well, now that I, I'm doing this, what does this mean? And um, what does this mean as as a role model? What, how will I use this platform? Um, and where am I going? And what, who am I now? And I think that's always constantly being refined, but I will always, um, always strive. I will, no, not strive to, I will always be myself and that will always most likely be bubbly and maybe a little bit annoying, but whatever, like <laughs> that's who I am. And um, that's what makes me happy. And I think through that reflect, all a lot of reflection this year, um, I've been able to refine that and um, become even more comfortable in who I am and what, I guess, my new role and pathway is and means. Bravo. That's so amazing. The last five minutes generally, like, I mean, it's, <laughs> I generally just like the where it all comes together and it's just like, wow, like you just said exactly what, you know, needed to be said. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> I don't know. This has been a really beautiful conversation. Anyway, I think I think that I think that's I think that's an amazing place to leave it. So um, that was wonderful. Thank you, Georgia. So good. Thank you for having me. And that's a wrap. Please don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with somebody who needs to hear it. Wawawa have been called the Masters of Delight. To check out their colourful work, please visit wawawa.com.au and follow on Instagram at wawawaark. And Nick Brunson's responsive, inclusive and emotive projects can be seen at nickbrunson.com or on Instagram at the same name. Our intro and outro music is I'm Blessed from The Manifestation by Chris and Teeb. Until next time, Gert, signing off. Too blessed to be stressed. Put your faith to the test.